0: It's called Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Go check it out at AskDrGray.com. That's Gray with an A. The Pre-Med Year, session number 258. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. Again, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited to talk to you about today's guest, but also to let you know about our brand new podcast, Ask Dr. Gray, pre-med Q&A. I do, when I'm home, a daily Facebook Live, answering questions. And that Facebook Live will be turned into, at least part of it will be turned into this brand new podcast, which is live wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever, anywhere it's live. So go check it out, Ask Dr. Gray, pre-med Q&A. Now, several weeks ago, a couple months ago now, we did a behind-the-scenes look at the TMDSAS application service. And that got some great feedback from students. They loved seeing that behind-the-scenes look. And that is what we're going to do today, but not with an application service. We're going to do it with a medical school, an osteopathic medical school to be specific. We're going to talk to the director of admissions at the Dr. Kieran C. Patel College of Osteopathic Medicine. Now, you might say, well, what is that school? I've never heard of it. Well, you've heard of Nova Southeastern. That is Nova Southeastern's new name. Dr. Kieran C. Patel gave an amazing gift to Nova Southeastern University, and they now renamed their osteopathic medical school, Dr. Kieran C. Patel College of Osteopathic Medicine. And we're going to speak to their director of admissions, Stephanie Petrosky, about their admissions process, what they're looking for in a student, uh, and so much more. So let's go ahead and dive in and say hello. Now, Stephanie, thank you for joining me here on the Pre-Med Years Podcast. It's great to have you.
1: All right. Thanks. Appreciate How,
0: it. how does one become dean of admissions at a medical school?
1: That takes a lot of uh, time in the field and attention to just a you know, plethora of priorities. Uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting journey. And I think everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different. I come mm-hmm. from a business background and um, you know, bring a sense of customer service and uh, kind of customer focus and kind of business operations, uh, looking at systems and processes, because uh, it does have a lot of translation stuff. Other business models. Uh, I think the biggest, you know, challenge really is being able to translate um, the needs of the students that are in this professional program and the college and some of the academic. Um, you know nuances that are a little bit you know more specific to the area or the school or the university but in general it's it's just it's a kind of a career progress for somebody who's just really been out there um, you know kind of creating success because they definitely want somebody in a position like that that would really emerge as a leader and kind of keep the issues uh, forefront and you know kind of attention to uh, potential and, and future uh, business needs.
0: I think it's it's interesting. I wanted to hear that little background with you because I knew that you weren't a, a physician or, or medically related. And so it's interesting because I think a lot of students, when they're applying to schools and talking to schools, I, I think in their head, they picture a physician on the other side or, or somebody that um, has been intimately involved with medicine in some way that is, is dictating their future career. But th- there's really no rhyme or reason to who's in charge other than you're the best person for that job at this point in time.
1: I hope so. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's going to be different, Dr. Gray, in all different settings. Um, and I think that that's a strength of you know, the ability of a senior leader to understand the strengths of the people that he or she may put on the team to make these kinds of, uh, you know, positions come to life. But um, the one thing I can say is that, you know, traditionally physicians are trained to be physicians or not trained, you know, in these, you know, kind of complex scenarios of running large academic organizations or maybe even the accreditation process of how you know uh, a school maintains its status and you know moves and improves through the use of trending and data. Um, so that's data analytics, and you know, kind of uh, you know, on the financial end, there's also a lot of attributes that are important from a business sense. But more importantly, um, it does kind of take a complex setting of skills. That being said, there are our deans of admission that come into um, you know, to the setting where they are the physician and then they have some natural skills that are, you know, they can be trained and developed along the way more in succession planning. Uh, so that works. Uh, but also, uh, even though I may not be a physician, um, I have a very strong healthcare background. So I'm, you know, been a colleague and a friend among physicians for all of my career. And the other piece of it is, you um, uh, in the modeling you know of a physician um, just the education process, you know, even in our college, we have a lot of physicians in our faculty, but we also have education experts who have pedagogy and high credentials and experience in the development and design of education programs. So we're a very complex school and we have a very complex, you know, array of, of leadership that helps on, you know, many different levels. So that's probably a good way to kind of explain uh, the who's, but our physicians are intimately involved in meeting meeting our candidates, setting criteria, helping us look at data and the faculty together, you know, both science and um, uh, non-science and physician and clinician and researchers. They all get together and kind of look at it from their point of view when discussing and looking at applicants' file to really choose the best student that works in our program.
0: So I want to... I know it's not breaking news at this point, but I want to highlight the fact that Nova Southeastern University College of Osteopathic Medicine is no longer called Nova Southeastern University College of Osteopathic Medicine. For a student who's listening to this and and thinking about applying in the future, talk about the the name change where students are going to be able to find you and refer to to your school by now.
1: Okay, great. So we are um, a recent recipient, the the College of Osteopathic Medicine is a recent recipient and thereby to the University, Nova Southeastern University, um, of uh, Dr. C. Patel, who made a a significant gift to the university. And with that is um, going to help the school build a second regional campus in the Tampa area, which will actually house many of NSU's health profession programs but we're going to keep everything consolidated. So through the normal process of Uh, applications for all osteopathic medical schools. They use the ACOMAS, the ACOMAS system, which is uh, a universal tool that all of the colleges um, participate in on the national level. And that's the first step in the process. We are still going to stay uh, here at the main campus in the Fort Lauderdale, Florida area. And um, during that admissions process, everything will be coordinated through this main campus and under the direction of of our, of our current team and structure. We're going to have to do more of uh, interviewing and certainly more processing of applications. But uh, the way we envision this happening um, will be that uh, hopefully with our approval, we have a, a candidate application in with uh, the COCA accreditation body to expand our class size. We'll be able to take applications for the next um cycle to maybe increase our seat size. But right now, even though our name has changed, nothing about our values and our location, or our people have changed. It's just getting uh, used to calling us um, the KPCom instead of the NSUCom, uh, just uh, to you know really give honor to the the wonderful vision that Dr. Patel has on helping us expand in our reach to out uh, the communities that have underserved and other areas that we currently don't have a presence.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Great, great donation, great gift. And hopefully I know it'll go to great use into serving that area of need, definitely. Mm-hmm. Several months ago, I did a great podcast with the people behind TMD SAS. And you mentioned ACOMIS as the application service for students applying for osteopathic medical schools. I would love to to do kind of a behind the scenes of what happens at nova i'm gonna call it nova just or let's call it kpcom at kpcom um what happens at kpcom once the floodgates open from a comus when the application cycle starts what's the first thing that that you and your team are doing when those applications start to come in
1: you know i i really do appreciate the opportunity to um to be more transparent, I I have a very strong personal commitment to that. So uh, when candidates reach out uh, to me, uh, you know, along the way or even during interview day, I really take the time to meet with them on a personal level and try to, you know, really make it real as much as we can without giving away, you know, kind of all the interior um, secrets. But for the most part, I, I think the, you know, the, the best way to get started is to kind of think about um, think about it in a more of a checklist or a stepwise process. An applicant, you know, usually is preparing to apply to medical school several years before the day actually comes that they hit that submit button. So, you know, any work that applicants can do to connect with pre-SOMA or um, uh, just pre-application of, you know, advocacy groups that can help or even reach out to schools to Um, you know, learn who might be that person to help guide them in the application process. So, you know, looking at the websites and and really trying to educate uh, themselves on what Is the steps, but we really don't even get involved uh, from the school level until the applicant has completed and submitted the application through the Acomas system. So that involves, you know, really understanding the software. Uh, There is a huge helpline involved to the Acomas. Uh, process so that's a vendor, a third-party vendor who actually houses the application system for all of the uh, osteopathic medical schools. And in that, this the applicant has to attach all of their documents and uh, pay the fees that go along with that. And they can actually designate certain. Um, schools, uh, you know, so they can do it one time and just have that application sent to all the different areas that they prefer. Mm -hmm. Then on the back end, uh, really we're in a waiting zone. We have an interface with the ACOMA system at the school level so we can actually see uh, who might be in in process or who's now completed but waiting to be verified because that is another step that uh, does hold things up. I just returned from the Omid conference and got a first-hand update that ACOMIS is actually saying that their verification uh, turnaround has actually gone down to about two to three days on the mm-hmm. average, which used to really be weeks of people double-checking transcripts and everything. So, that is actually a great bit of news in the system but so once you know this applicant is uh in the system and has submitted you know this verification timing could kind of delay it could uh upregulate maybe if there's a lot of um good uh, documentation uh, sent in advance but we don't even see that application until everything is submitted and it's been verified by, by a COMIS. and then once a week our school kind of goes to we'll just say goes to the mailbox to kind of check in download system to system so uh, we do not receive ongoing downloads so we do it once a week just to do the you know, volume of applications that we are taking in for all our health profession program. So, once a week uh, which right, you know, right now our designated day is on Wednesdays, we go in and check for all of the status changes on applications that have now been verified and they're ready for the school to pick them up. and once we do that, Uh, They begin more of an internal process here of us just collecting all of the additional pieces. There's a secondary application that is sent out to the applicants once we have their application from the ACOMAS site. So they fill out a little more customized information for NSU and the school that we have. Um, And then they also need to submit letters of recommendation or any additional attachments that maybe didn't, you know, get it into their original application because that, you know, can also be a variable. I will just give a good example of like a letter of reference, you know, much as uh, our faculty and physicians want to help out candidates, they're busy, right? Just face Mm -hmm. it, they're busy. So, sometimes uh, the application's ready to go and I would hate for an application to be waiting on that. So, sometimes students, I advise them to go ahead and submit and then send the letter of reference directly to the school. And then we kind of match everything up, check off the checklist. And once it's ready for review, then it's expedited to our admissions office. And then admissions counselor will begin the reviewing process. So kind of applying our criteria and some of the characteristics that we really feel are, you know, good match for our program. And then from there, uh, decisions are made uh, out of you know a certain number of applicants that we are targeting to interview. You know we kind of have a certain schedule of interview dates and certain number of seats that we can offer, and uh, we begin that that interview process. And for us, it goes on all this all the cycles. So we we work in a rolling admission process. So we're you know from May one or I think it's May fourth when the Ocomas application opens. We actually um, start interviewing, calling people about mid August uh, because our, our secondaries don't go out until June. Um, and then by that time, we're just pretty much sending out invita- invites all the way through, uh, I'd say probably February or March. You know, the year almost is complete in activity for us.
0: Yeah. And then it starts all over again.
1: It it that's not even a break anymore. That's yeah. been the challenge. I used to be able to take the summer off and not think about it. But what we're finding on the back end, which is a little bit more of the mysterious part for people, is you know, those that are, you know, maybe late to the cycle or they interviewed but they weren't the first offers that came back from the school, but they're on the waiting list. We'll just say the waiting list, whatever that kind of context is for the different schools. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, then you start having the formal deadlines of maybe somebody who may be in an allopathic program and they have commitment dates or they're away out of state and now they're taking and considering offers that are coming closer to home and just making these final decisions. It's very tense and stressful. So it's almost like I feel like I'm working a bookie agency at the end (laughs) of the, the year because it just seems like I, you know, I kind of think, you know, that these group of applicants that we've offered and have even deposited for us, you know, at the end of the cycle, we see a lot of movement. And um, that's when the fun starts, because these are the candidates that you know we get to contact that i've really been diligent in staying in touch with the school and we've been able to rank them and you know put them in a, an order that we we know we're going to come back and get them and typically we see anywhere between i would say 50 to 60 drops at the end of the cycle uh, of people who have actually given us a full deposit and reserved their seat all the way through that process and then at the last minute you know life happens or uh, they need to defer or you know maybe the home school they've been waiting on finally found a seat for them so there's just a lot of settling on the back end of the year it's gotten um, less and less but that's always kind of a really good opportunity for a candidate who may not be as strong in in the academics to attract that offer right up front but has shown a perseverance or has gone back and maybe strengthened their application by adding an update such as wow you know i went ahead and took the advice of you know Stephanie Petrosky, and you know she said Take an immunology class, you know, go back and repeat that biochemistry or something, and update your academic record to show us that you're really here. Or go back and retake your MCAT. You know, a lot of times that group of people on the end are the ones that we really have met and have enjoyed their company, but just you know, got to finish off a few little pieces to really have a robust and full application that will you know get come to a competitive point. our, our goal all the time is to find the right balance of students. With drive, tenacity, passion, heart for medicine, but can complete successfully the rigor of the academics because, you know, all the students come into us, especially those that are in the undergraduate. Transition uh, really with high expectations that they're they're really motivated and they've done well in undergraduate, but they they don't really have it all together quite yet for for medical school. And um, we found by using our little magic formula with what we're looking for in applicants, we. We have had a really tremendous success of helping our students avoid the failures and to move on together collectively and get past their board scores. And so, we, you know, that's kind of the overall, you know, applicant review process, you know, in, and that's from that record, but also the interview and the, the ongoing relationship we might have with a prospective applicant tells us uh, whether or not, you know, that we feel like they were going to be a good success story in the program.
0: To get a little context of what you and your team are doing this whole cycle, how many how many applications are you typically getting every year?
1: Um, you know, that's interesting. We've seen um, the last few years, and not including this year and last year, because something kind of different happened, uh, there has been a huge upward trend. Osteopathic medicine has really been a very strong um, Profession program that has really been uh, drawing drawing a lot of uh, candidates from other areas, but we've um, seen that kind of peak uh, nationally, and then the whole other uh, piece of it is you know when everything you know, like just like stocks when things go up they kind of resend a little bit, and there's starting to be new trends within the the health professions and academic things that are happening so. Um, To answer your question, I'd say two years ago we had over 10,000 applications. This year we have, um, uh, right now we're trending at about 9,000 applications overall. Last year was a small kind of like stabilization. We We didn't really grow. We didn't really drop. But this year we're kind of currently looking like we might have a little bit less.
0: One of the questions that comes up a lot for students is, or statements they make is, oh, I got a secondary. That means that means I have a shot. When when you guys are sending secondaries, are are you sending secondaries unscreened, unfiltered, or are you looking at grades or GPA or other parts of your secret sauce first?
1: <laughs> the secret sauce. Huh? Yeah. Um, the process for us is we have kind of established process that we kind of follow because we're part of a university scenario. We have um, applications that are uh, done on a secondary basis. So once an application is complete, we do not evaluate. um, It's just, it, The the whole review process can delay an application. So Mm -hmm. we leave it up to the applicant to decide, you know, based on our criteria and other factors that are, you know, currently listed on our website and our criteria, you know, that they meet the application and they really want to move forward with that secondary. But pretty much the invite goes out to everybody who has submitted a complete application. There are lots of, I'd say, there's probably another 1,200 or so that start the application but don't submit it because that's the part that usually an applicant has to pay a fee for. So, sometimes people will designate and we can see those applications in our side on the ECOMAS, but we don't, they don't pay the fee unless they submit and, you know, go forward with that application. So, the same kind of thing is true on the NSU side is that they have the opportunity to submit an application secondary. If they've gone that far to indicate and apply to NSU, they typically want the secondary as well, um, which is a smaller fee. I think our, our fee right now is $50 for the university, and that just covers the processing of it internally. Um, And then we look at the full, complete application together to decide um, if this is an applicant that we're interested in interviewing and meeting.
0: One of the things that I saw recently with the third-party service that runs ACOMIS is that they're starting to offer the ability to wrap secondaries into the primary application. Do you see that changing how the application process works for osteopathic schools?
1: They actually give it, uh, that option to us. Um, It would be, I think it would really be ideal because it's, you know, mainstream for the applicant. From an applicant perspective, it's ideal. The downside is, is that it just is, there's so many different processes, you know, not just but all of their application services um, are interfacing with so many different programs and so many different universities and policies and procedures and processes that it just is almost kind of mind-boggling to think okay. how this could be streamlined. But it is an option and um, our our people are allowing, uh, at our university, they've asked this question, even though a allows us the opportunity to, um, you know, kind of decide and customize, we could or we, you know, could is an option, for example, NSU, participate in that wraparound. But at our university, we do not control those final handling decisions because we are under a big university which has a division of enrollment and student processes and they already make that decision. So at our university, uh, sometimes the school is subject to larger operating procedures and decision making that may not be in our hands so that's the reason it exists the way it does separately but it's you know definitely happening and it can it really be uh, on the onus of the applicant to make sure that they follow the instructions so when they enter in the ACOMAS portal there is usually a lot of details and usually all the schools you know have a very detailed website as well that should you know the main thing you know I would say this application game is about following directions. Yep. and really watching the time frame and certainly putting an emphasis on applying early you know there's always a group of students that are like the minute the midnight strikes you know that are in the application system and they're you know the big bulk is you know out there i'd say 75% of the be- you know best applications or the most competitive applications are out there but there's just a really great group of, of uh, applicants that tend to come into uh, our attention, you know, in the in between January and March and they're the ones that just apply like right before the deadline of, of <laughs> January 15th and it just gets me every time because they're like really great candidates and at that point, most of my, you know, responses are, I'm really sorry we don't have room, I'll put you on the list as soon as I have a cancellation you know, and then they say, okay, so I'll, I'll get on a plane, I'll come tomorrow, <laughs> you know, but you, you can't be offered admission if you don't interview and so It's really about managing the interview opportunities and schools. I, you know, I just came back from this conference and I was, you know, submerged with um, uh, admissions officers for two days, and they're all telling me they set their schedules in April, and they're interviewing, you know, pretty much all the way through, you know, January, February, and final decisions are, you know, are really out there. I have had. Um, on occasion, you know, um, unique situations just based on what's going on with the year that I may decide that at the end of my cycle, I, you know, there wasn't enough of the candidates we were seeking. Um, Even though we had met enough people to offer everybody, we decided to add like four more rounds of admissions interviews late in April. And it was really an interesting place for me to be because I had all these candidates who were still open, active, and waiting to here and it was late in the season and they all willingly paid the money came to Fort Lauderdale spent the whole day with us fell in love and you know I actually looked at them at lunch and said you know what honestly I can tell you not everybody in this room is going to get in but I do have seats and we wouldn't have invited you here if we really weren't you know, holding seats for, um, you know, the right candidates. And so it's important for that candidate to let me know that this is really their top choice. And, and we look for that during that whole day, you know, people think that they just have to pass that 30 minute interview window. But actually, when you come to campus, and you meet the school, you're on interview from the day you show the minute you show up to the time you leave, everybody's collecting feedback, because we do a 360 here, we want our, our students, ambassadors to be in involved we want our faculty that are teaching in our simulation lab to be involved the person who does the lunch uh presentation most of the time our dean goes to meet the candidates and she writes a little seating chart and puts everybody's name down because she'll come back and I can tell me you know so and so you know blew it they were on their phone or they <laughs> fell asleep during my lecture and don't do that uh, no. because it happens all the time and we're just human and the most important thing is that you know you you make that genuine effort it's a lot of energy and i can tell you know at lunch when they finally sit down for the day and i'm using my time to do a presentation with them they all start closing their eyes and going to sleep but it's it's um, you're not the show's not over Uh, but there's always something you know that's going to possibly come up as an opportunity and um, you know i just really advocate for students to stay engaged and you know find somebody at the school you know and and different people at different schools you know that really want to Chat with you, and you know. And unfortunately, I hear it too that you know they try to send in an email or they try to whatever. So it's about distinguishing yourself and finding a way to be personable. And when you are, you know, afforded the opportunity to interview, that you really take advantage of that a hundred percent and tell people that you love this school and that's where you want to be. And that message gets over to the committee on admissions. Um, so that's kind of like the logistics of the application, you know, there's a lot more to it after that interview has transpired, you know, or even what happens if you don't get the invite uh, to interview. So I don't know how much more you want to go.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a little bit because you, you talked about this magic formula that you have for trying to figure out who are going to be the best fit for your class. A lot of students that listen to this podcast are non-traditional students. They may have had some poor undergrad GPAs. They may have had maybe out of science for for several years before coming back into this process. They may have poor GPAs, but great MCAT scores. How, how do you factor in a lot of those variables when you have this magic formula, which to a student may sound like, oh, you... You just have a list that you're looking for, great GPA, check, great MCAT score, check, all all of these other things.
1: Well, you know, the non-traditional student is actually becoming the standard these days. Uh, So encouragement to those that are out there that really want... um, to never give up on your dream. You know, life is what makes who you are, you know, special. And I definitely uh, can say for sure that m- the in- the most interesting and, um, you know, dynamic candidates that come to us are those that have had a rich experience in life and then been able to turn that around and really become competitive despite everything else that they're enduring. Mm-hmm. Um That being said, you know, there's also a lot of really interesting things that are happening to uh, academics where uh, students in dual admission programs or articulation programs have kind of brought in the undergraduate world. So it is sometimes kind of. Uh, interesting to see the way our class shapes up, but, you know, for example, here about 50% of our students are really in the non-traditional category. Our, our mean average age uh, in each class is about 26 years old. Um, so I do look for the distinguishing uh, story. You know, every candidate has a story and it's really important that as an individual and an applicant, you, know, you try to find your story and see how you fit in that. Uh, that in that school and to look for schools that maybe you know aren't as you you can go to you can go to the ACOM website American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine and they have all kinds of matriculant stats that you can look up on data reports and it kind of shows you maybe where the volume or some of the trends might be it's really good to be an educated consumer in that regard um so you know, kind of going back to the basic question about how to make an application stand out, it, it is at the first level. You know, a lot of times, and everybody just do the sheer volume. I mean, we seven thousand applicants a year, and you translate that into who just completed who completed their application and checked all the requirements off that limits that pool now down to 5,500. And we know, you know, our magic, you know, numbers in order to yield the class size that we have, you know, I've got to interview about, usually about three candidates for every seat. So that's somewhere around 700 applicants that we're looking to meet. Um, so, out of, you know, 10% of the first application pool, you know, it is it is kind of a challenge. So, you do have to put some minimum criteria. And so, it's important that an applicant looks at that criteria and knows that, you know, if you aren't meeting the criteria, then you really need to find a way to stand out. Because even though our, our guidelines allow a dean to make a variance, It's also an accountability to our accrediting body where we have to tell them and put a waiver on the file that we've not followed our own policies and that gets everybody into trouble. So most of the time, those criteria are set really at an achievable level and candidates should try to at least maintain that. That being said, if your GPA is a 3.02 and you're just over the minimum criteria, then you're really gonna need some inside guidance. So find a way to connect with. With the school, um, if you really are seriously interested in and go visit, uh, you know, find the name of somebody who can send an appointment with you and spend 30 minutes just talking about your file and then do what they tell you to do. Um, I, I, as I said, I kind of take a personal approach to making that, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of transparent. So I'll, I'll open up somebody's file with them on the phone and, you know, say, you know, well, this is kind of this and this is kind of that. And, you know, really what would strengthen would be, you know, A, B, and C. And, and most of the time that's going to be higher sciences. So if you can show your academic rigor in, in microbiology or immunology and really come away with a good grade on that, that might undo or i would say lessen the impact of maybe somebody's second undergraduate year where they just having too much fun and let the sciences slip you know honestly the biggest conversation i have is most common is i really know i messed up but i really want to go to medical school and i you know and i know i've got a bunch of things in my undergraduate career i've got to fix if students you know, started out of high school with 100% mindset on doing it, you know, then they're going to miss out on the fun in, in undergrad. So it's constant, you know, balancing and taking and giving of what life brings to the candidate and trying to judge, uh, you know, this is where you are. This is what you have. Now, what can you add that would distinguish you? So besides higher sciences, um, finding some kind of volunteer work or working with, um a physician particularly in our case we would love to see P- uh, you work with a, an osteopathic physician because we need to see that you have a heart and a translation of the of the whole philosophy of osteopathic education and you know, we're really looking to see that emulated in your application and it comes out so it's easy for us to spot Um, but also, scribing is a great way to get into the business of medical care and just, you know, day to day and, and that exponential growth in the candidates ability to to relate to graphs to express themselves because all of this is going to be part of what we look at in an application. So we, we screen by GPA and we screen by MCATS to have kind of some minimums and then we may have some stratification on based on what the results are where your application might Um, you know kind of uh, look at but we also do look at uh, those maybe from an underserved uh, minority you know background where they really just didn't have the same access to tutoring and and skills that you know maybe would be an opportunity for someone to showcase you know um, a scholarship or maybe even um, an agency that they've you know been working for on a volunteer basis you know to kind of help explain Um, also uh, master's degrees and uh, postgraduate coursework are very good uh, application enhancers so if you didn't do so hot in the sciences and you've got you know a very moderate GPA there because again science core is really a big part of the application that we review I would definitely suggest going ahead and proceeding into a master's program it changes the student's ability to really get um, into the, the track for medical school um, I'
0: highlight real quick. A lot of students ask about masters and they go, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do an MPH. Does when you're looking at the masters, I I've talked to some uh people in your position, some other deans, some other admissions committee members who say, you know what, it it really needs to be a hard sciences masters, maybe an SMP, maybe a um a biomedical sciences masters, but the weaker, kind of less hard science ones like MPH aren't as favorable.
1: Well, um that depends. Uh, my answer to that is uh, not not so specifically in agreement with that. Uh, I can see why those recommendations would come because mm-hmm. most of the time, Uh, people are coming to the table, we'll say, as a little bit weak in sciences, those that would pursue the masters. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can say, you know, there have actually been some really interesting masters that I've seen. And there's a lot of variety out there uh, that actually show a whole different side of that. So uh, we happen to be, uh, you know, a provider of an MPH program. So candidates that are, for example, really interested in NSU, So if they get involved in our MPH program, then they've already demonstrated an affiliation and an interest in NSU and we've gotten to know them. In fact, some of our faculty teach from the DO program teach in the MPH program and vice versa. Hmm. Um, so for us, an MPH program uh, is actually a really good thing. But you know the issue is is it doesn't take care of the science problem yep. if that is really the problem. So then you want that candidate to also be working on coursework. And you know Harvard Online has a great opportunity, University of New England actually is kind of specializing in these online pre health. Prerequisites, um, which I think can uh, enhance somebody's academic resume. So, you know, even though traditionally people have gone through a program and attended a university, with these online programs that are available, you know, you can actually kind of be doing a couple of things at the same time. But I do feel like, you know, anything, you know, the C is our requirement for those individual science prerequisites. Uh, but if you've got a C and you really want to show that. You know, you are now, you've got it together and you're a mature student. You've figured out your learning style. You know your personality. You know how to balance, uh, you know, and you're working now and you're kind of gaining this experience so you're able to apply what you're learning. Uh, certainly, um, you know, going back and repeating a course to, you know, augment that grade in the transcript is is a good tactic. The one thing that's really kind of killing everybody this year is that ECOMAS went through a major change in how they were reporting grades. And now instead of grade replacement, they are using an averaging uh, mechanism. So it makes it much harder to get people's uh, GPAs up with that kind of a strategy. But what it does is that we look at everything. So even though your prerequisite may be, uh, you know, you know, one degree and that you have another, you know, a in replacement and the file, we'll see it. And we'll say, okay, yeah. You know, we look at, we can see uh, academic coursework over four to six years and we can see where the candidate has really been, you know, and, and we'll say, wow, that, you know, something happened in between year two and year three, tell us about it. It actually becomes the context of when we interview or talk to you on the phone as we have an interesting, in your application, um, We'll, we'll ask that what's going on there, you know, and give us a chance to say, you know, what it was that changed, um, you know, kind of changed for you. And most of the time there's some kind of interpersonal thing or just somebody that didn't really pay attention and got overwhelmed, you know, really their ability to handle and recover and be resilient is really what we're looking for in the application. So any way you can demonstrate that is going to tell us that you're ready for a medical school. Um Yeah, and just, you know, continuing to uh, show in any kind of community service. Our school is very big on community service, so we really like to see a variety, not just what happened in undergrad through your fraternity or whatever, but that you're, you know, you're intentionally deciding, you know, I'm a big advocate for uh, abused women and I, you know, have been giving time at a free clinic for, rape victims or something like that you know there's just really uh, lots of ways that a personality can be expressed so we are looking for diversity we are definitely looking for uh, strength and uh, this well-rounded candidate where the character can be seen so you know looking at that and maybe even taking time with your application and showing it you know to people for some feedback would be a great suggestion you know to see if an objective person could see the same kind of thing that a candidate from the inside is thinking they've put together in their application.
0: So Stephanie, one of the the big things that's happening in the osteopathic world and the the MD world is that the postgraduate training is merging. The ACGME and the AOA training is merging. When a student is looking at applying to MD schools or DO schools and thinking about that postgraduate training, what should they be thinking about is if that's going to affect them or not in the long run.
1: So, you know, kind of thinking about it in terms of the, the medical school, right? And it does one medical school rank higher over the other when it comes to residency. Um, I have, a you know, kind of a different view on the on this whole scenario. I am naturally a very optimistic person. And while I am not in the responsibility day-to-day of managing and creating opportunities for postgraduate training I feel very optimistic that you know this is a, a great opportunity for medical schools to come together and really look on a parallel basis, you know, of what is the best demonstrated practice and what you know might be things that can um, even you know be left behind as old ways of doing business. Um, so I think that that the the vision to Create a universal postgraduate training experience is right where it needs to be. And, you know, my hunch is right behind that starts to be the standardization process at the medical school level, because it just makes sense that if you're going to be producing candidates that are universally desirable to residency programs, that they are coming out with, you know, consistent competencies uh, from, from from those programs, whether it's allopathic or osteopathic. So, I kind of think that's a long time down the road. So in the short term, what does you know, what does our you know student out of our program or students out of any program you know really have to focus on? I, I think that's no different than what we would tell people to do. On a, just a general, how do you succeed in business talk, or how do you, um, how do you get the interview? Like we've just covered, you know, you have to find a way to make yourself distinguishable and desirable. And uh, with residency applications, while I'm not one that. Um, Is heavily involved in that. I can tell from being in my background of healthcare administration when I ran residency programs and worked in, um, you know, kind of, I even have somebody in our committee on admissions here that is part of the residency. Uh, is the chief academic officer at a, at a, one of our hospitals where there's training going on in their residency program being developed? We're looking for the same characteristics. So, being a distinguishable candidate and being you know really uh, engaged in your education process and showing that leadership and the extra pieces of of where you take initiative, such as you know when you start medical school, maybe even endeavoring into if you have you know kind of the resources or capacity to work on a second. Degree. Most of them, you know, are now looking for students that either have a graduate certificate or some type of, um, you know, master's degree, maybe in a subspecialization Um, as well as what kinds of, you know, student club leadership and things you can do in medical school. So I don't think so much this uh, issue between osteopathic and allopathic is going to be too much of an issue in the long run of residency applications because they're all working on this universal guideline. I think the biggest challenge is osteopathic education seems to be going more towards what the ACGME guidelines are. You know, there's not a 50-50 go back to the other way. So I think that our students in osteopathic world have a little bit more to catch up on. But that isn't any different than they've been doing for years. As a matter of fact, our students have always been competitive to both. And we've actually had in our school residencies that were dual accredited. We've we've kind of already been, I think, ahead of the curve on this mm-hmm. uh, in our little area of the world. So I think that that's a good thing to be and that you know when you look at a school you look at their residency you know match because really the schools whether it's osteopathic allopathic have to report in you know what are those graduates doing when they take their residency and what kinds of subspecializations are they going in and um, we make that available on our website and that's a requirement for all schools so you, you know you want to look at that too when you're choosing a school because you want to make sure that when you get done with your process that you are a very highly competent and competitive physician and you can go on and find where you want to match you know, so match rates are a really good indicator of where uh, students are going. And, you know, we've already come into this whole merger process at NSU and with a good standing. And I think for the most part, uh, the schools are doing a pretty good job on preparing competitive applicants. And it's just my biggest concern really is, you know, we can put all the students out of these programs in terms of outcomes, you know, and training future physicians, but we still need the locations at facilities. So we really have to get clever and creative about how much you know, training spots we have, and that's three years is a lot of training that most residents have to acquire. So, you know, the creative piece of it is still the same challenge that we have today, is finding good quality training places for residents to go and then still have, you know, physicians involved in training them because they are licensed in a limited way. So, they still have to have that residency director and, and other, you know, senior physicians overlooking what they're doing. So, Uh, Yeah, it's I only see this expanding. I look at everything and I say, wow, look at all this potential.
0: So I'm (laughs) lots of opportunity. That's good. And it's it's what you said a little bit. uh, What you said does it resonates with the message that I try to get across to students is it, it doesn't matter what's going on in the residency program. Couple of years down the road, it's it might look different by the time you're done. Um, it do, it doesn't matter what insurance looks like. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is is number one your uh your attitude going into it. Uh, but number two, it, everything is predicated off of your your effort and the work that you put into it. Just because you go to Nova, uh, because they have. Great residency match rates doesn't mean you're going to match at a great residency. You still have to put in the work and put in the effort. And so that's a a message I always try to get across to students is it's it always, always, always comes down to you and the effort that you're willing to put into it.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And just, you know, I I, I totally want to echo what you said about, don't worry about it down the road. <laughs> you know, there's, the, it, whenever time things change, people start, you know, talking about how it's not going to work. But, you know, focus on where you are and do the best with what you can and where you're at and, you know, find a way to really know yourself and figure out how to leverage your strengths and and that's where it's gonna what's gonna shine. And you know, every opportunity, even if it's the worst clinical rotation and you absolutely hate it or you've always wanted to be a pediatrician and you get to your peds r- rotation and you're like, ah, I on the day one I cannot stick a baby, you know, for a blood test or anything like that. Then just, you know embrace it and get the best you can from the scenario and it won't last forever and you know you got to get through the process so you know the end result is you have an opportunity to really um, you know go where you want to go and, and um, use that fourth year or, you know, when you have your elective rotations to test out some of these residencies you know and get a feel and make sure you're going many of them are not uh, considering applications unless you have been there through an audition rotation so you know you you constantly thinking about where you're going and you know you're stuck up in the middle of just trying to get through your basic sciences those first couple of years. But be mindful about where do you see yourself in the long run and as you get experience to these core rotations in the third year and you start trying out these different areas and, you know, have an idea of where you want to focus your residency, because that'll help you just like choosing a medical school, you know, focusing on what is the specialty of that residency. And, you know, maybe there are certain elements that you want to achieve. And and maybe, for example, you know, people come right out and know that they want surgery or radiology, and that's a longer process yet. So, you want to, you know, kind of make good decisions along the way to help you get to, you know, if you really want to be, you know, an orthopedic surgeon. And we have a lot of that in our in our program because of the neuromuscular, you know, kind of just specialization. Um, you know, think about other options that come available to you to strengthen what you have to offer. And, you know yeah. one great example here is we have a pre doctoral fellowship and uh, opp principles so that the those those red, those students in between their, their second and third year actually have time to take a whole year out and gain this master practice in osteopathic manipulative medicine it gives them a chance to say well you know i got a pre-doctoral fellowship and you know when i apply for residency you know i've got a whole extra year of neuromuscular and skeletal training you know that just makes me ideal for this residency program you know so these are kinds of things to just find a way you know to really accentuate your strength
0: yeah well as we wrap up here i i know that whenever I talk to students about their school lists and they don't have KPcom or Nova on their school list, I always said, you should look into adding them. They're doing some amazing things and everything I hear is is just great from the students there. If you were to give your your 60-second elevator pitch, why a student should consider coming to KPcom? What would it be?
1: Okay, uh, 60 seconds, that's a tough one. Um, I think... It's I, I'll say it from a personal perspective. I you know worked in the community of this area for almost 30 years and came back into uh, when I had a career change and opportunity. Tried for many years to come to NSU, com only because. I worked on the outside and we trained our physician students and I could see there was such a distinguishable difference in the candidates. So I always said, that must be something really special going on over there. And I uh, had an opportunity when a job opened up to work in the with the dean's office and just just, you know, the ability to really see the process, the the caliber of our student body and our faculty and the dedication to the process, to me is, you know, nowhere else but. It just really seems to be, that's um, not for everybody, you know, it has to be the right fit, but for those that decide to make it, it's just truly focused on students being innovative and, um, you know, really, truly the care and uh, compassion uh, that we, you know, emulate in our in our mission and through the community that we serve. I, I, I feel it's a true deal. It's not marketing talk and a different walk when you get here. And that's why we really encourage people to come visit, um, even if it's not during an interview process, but to, to get a feel for it, because it's only really, something you can experience when you're here uh, and, and, you know, engaging our students throughout the whole process to make sure people can walk away with that impression.
0: All right. So there you have it. You got some great information on how Stephanie and her team review applications, what they're looking for, what gets students in trouble. And for a student applying to DO schools, what should they be worried about with this new merger coming up? Hopefully this podcast episode was useful for you, helpful for you. I would love for you to check out the show notes. If you missed anything, go to medicalschoolhq.net 258. You'll find all the links that are appropriate for today's podcast in there. If you have any questions about Nova Southeastern, go ahead and reach out to them. Uh, their All of their contact information is on their page. Just do a quick Google search. You'll find it. We have some students in our Hangout group. If you're not part of our Hangout, medicalschoolhq.net slash group. We have some students in there that go to um, Dr. Kieran C. Patel College of Osteopathic Medicine, and they're always open to answering questions about that school. So I hope you had a wonderful time today listening to this great podcast. If you have any suggestions for guests in the future, please let me know. We have a lot of great information coming up, including next week, a great guest talking about the cars section of the MCAT. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here at the Premed Years. <laughs>